Good morning. Today's scripture reading is taken from John 7, sorry, John chapter 7, verse 37 to 53. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him out to find out what he has been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. John 7, 37 to 53. There we go. Thanks, Leslie. Thanks to Natalie and Tamara for leading us. So people were divided, uh, you know, about Jesus back then, and people are still divided about Jesus. So things are, in many ways, much the same. Interesting, the writer says there that uh, does, don't you know a prophet doesn't come out of Galilee? And actually, Jonah did come out of Galilee, so he was a prophet. So things are said this way and that way, not necessarily so. So we are in the midst of uh, Pentecost, season of Pentecost. So our artwork on the back is depicting the flame, the tongues of fire that were upon the apostles that we note in Acts chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit comes in as a mighty wind and blows through the the sanctuary where they are, and they start speaking in tongues. It's an amazing kind of event. That's what's happened on that day. So Pentecost is 50 days after Easter, runs for 50 days, and it's a time to think and celebrate and focus on God's work through the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of God. So that's what we have been doing the last number of weeks. And we have a few weeks left. Let's see, I've got this on. Now it's on. My mistake. Perfect. 
So just a few reminders as we begin that Pentecost is not about information. It's not about being informed like in a church history class. You might take a history class up at Tyndale, study the history of the church. But when we do it as in the liturgical calendar, it's not about information, it's about transformation. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is all about. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus coming into our lives, indwelling us, and changing us. It's the whole process of what we might call divinization, of becoming like Christ, which is incredible. But that's, that's what the New Testament is all about, that we are on a path, we are on a journey to become your true self, your whole self, your perfect self before God, and ultimately actually to become like Christ. Become like Christ. Wow. I've got a long way before I go, I'm like Christ. I'll admit that right off the top. But that's the journey. So it's not about information, it's about transformation. And when it comes to Pentecost, what we see is that the real presence of Jesus is still with us, it's just the mode has changed. Jesus was with his disciples in the flesh, with them for three years, all just living, just living, 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 living. At Pentecost, Jesus is no longer there physically, but he's with them interiorly. He is with them. So the mode changes. So that's, that's the idea. The mode of Jesus still with us. So it's not just an idea, right? It's, it, Christianity is not just about an idea. Your, your journey with God is not just an idea. It's you relating to God person to person through Christ, through his spirit. That, that's what it's about. So it's not just simply an idea. It's not a class, right? We're talking about a person, person to person. It talks about an encounter. That's what it is. It's an encounter with God. And God is invisible. Jesus is invisible. The Spirit is invisible. They show up in our world, in our reality, in different ways. Small s signs, sacraments, big s sacraments, baptism, the Lord's table, a little more in front of you. But that's where faith comes in, right? Faith is required because it, God is invisible. Two big challenges in our journey with God. God is invisible, and he seems like he's a far, a long, long way away. I can't see him, and he seems to be way out there. If he's there at all, he's not in front of me. So that's the challenge. And so we all have to deal with that, and we deal with it through faith. A bit of faith. Faith is what will... Come into your life, a little bit of faith. It's like a seed, we're told, and it starts to grow. A lot of you guys enjoy gardens. You know what it's all about. You plant a little seed, and that seed can blossom and can grow. Or the seed can wither and die. So I know a number of you get that, and that's where we're at with Pentecost. So can we allow the Spirit of God to grow in our lives through faith? Okay, 
So here we are, coming to John 7, and we set the scene. It's actually quite an interesting scene, because the, 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 the reality, the context of Christ's day and week is really speaking into this text. So we see it. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He did not wish to go about in Judea because the leadership were looking for an opportunity to kill him. So already the leadership of Israel do not like him. In fact, they want to eliminate him. They don't want to just put him on the side. They, they know he's a threat, and they want to eliminate. It's interesting what's happened in Russia the last few days, right? So Putin now has a threat with the leader of the, the group. What's his name? Prozagin or something like that? Wagner. Okay, Wagner. So what is Putin finally going to do? Well, knowing Putin's style, he'll eliminate him eventually. That's what he does. You don't like him? We eliminate. So the leaders back here are doing the very same thing. They want to eliminate Jesus. Then Jesus, the John adds, now the Jewish festival of booths was near. And in your translations, it can be booths or tabernacles or Sukkot. There's three names that are used there. So the festival of booths was one of the three great festivals of Israel. Passover, Pentecost, and in the fall, booths or tabernacles, depending on your translation here. A one-week festival, and it was a festival of joy. A great, great, the most joyous day in the Jewish calendar is the final day of the festival of booths. The day of great joy. And Jesus stands up and makes his great statement, when? On the day of great joy. Still in the Jewish calendar. If you go to the tabernacles, the, the synagogues around town, on the eighth day, seventh day, eighth day of Sukkot, that will be their big day of great joy. In fact, they dance around the entire synagogue holding the Torah, Simcha Torah, joy in the Torah. They dance around and around and around and around. In the history of my time here, over the years, we used to do some times when we danced around the sanctuary. Maybe we need to do that again. Get Bonnie to lead us. Dance around one of her dances. Well, that's what they do in the tabernacles. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. Jesus had brothers. They're talking to him. For no one who wants to be widely known acts in secret. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. So they're saying, in a little bit of a mocking voice, hey, if you're so great, go to, go to, go to Jerusalem right now, when it's the big festival, and do something, man. Do something crazy. And then they'll all know you. Well, you know, that sounds very much like the devil's temptation to Jesus in the wilderness. Go to the top of the synagogue, jump off, and God will save you, and then everybody will know. And the temptation is still coming. Now it's through his brothers. Go to, go to the city, man, and show what you're about. But they're not doing it so people will come to faith, because they had no faith, but they're just saying, go do it and show off. So it's interesting, you know, that the temptations come, and they, and they, they, they come all the way through our lives. You know, you'll be tempted in some way till the day you die, whatever that is. Temptations are not going to go away. 
Temptation in itself is not a sin. It's, it's a drawing. You're, you're drawn to something. So we're drawn. You're drawn. Jesus was drawn. There was something in that. If there's a temptation, there's something in the temptation that draws you. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a temptation. It would just be stupid. Don't say that. That's stupid. That's dumb. I don't want I don't, nothing in that. But if you're tempted, there's something there that attracts you, whatever it might be. And so Jesus himself, there's something in that. He gets fed up, man. He's almost three years into his ministry here, and, and people are wanting to kill him. So there's a bit of a temptation is maybe I should go and do something dramatic and jump off the synagogue and then get people to the temple and people maybe to take attention, pay attention. You know what I mean? So that's where the story begins. Pretty cool. So here's the area that I thought I'd just show you. There's two, two slides here. And it, it's important because, again, the, what's happening here is significant in Jesus' response. So this is the temple. That big square is the temple. So the festival happens for seven days, one week. Everybody throughout Israel, everybody's invited. Not everybody's able to come, but lots come. The city has grown. It's way over 100,000 people now, maybe 200,000. It's packed for a small city. And every day there's a water drawing festival. That's the way it goes. And the priests, this is the Holy of Holies area right there, and the altar is just outside. The priests would go from here, walk all the way down here to the Pool of Siloam. There's a pool there, still there. Fill up a jar, pitcher, and then bring it back. This is all a procession. Everybody's following and joining as they go. Okay? It's like a big procession. Everybody's doing it, waving their palms and so on. It's a big, happy time. Having their donuts and Tim coffee, that's, that's all going on here. They go down here, they come back, and they go into the temple, and then they watch the priests walk around, once around, and then pour the water out on the altar. That's what they did. They did that each day for seven days. And then on the last day, they did the same thing, and then they walked around seven times, and then they poured the water. So you can just imagine, right? There's a lot of fun, it's joyous, People are walking down. In fact, they're, they're doing two things. They've got two hands. In one hand, they've got a palm or a willow branch, and they're waving it. And on the other hand, they've got a piece of fruit, a lemon. And they both are symbolized in, the, in their story. Willow, palm branch, lemon. And then on the final day, when they go around and walk around seven times, when there's this great joy, hurrah, then they're shaking and beating the air with it and then sucking on their lemon. That's what they're doing. And everybody's doing it and having a great old time. You got the idea? It's a big thing. It's a festival. It's joyous. They're having lots of fun. Little kids are engaged, involved, the big procession. So that's what's happening in that story. We go on. We have one other one. So here we see... They come in through the water gate, that's what it was called, and then they watch, and the priests go around the altar, 
seven times. The altar is where they burned their sacrifices normally, and people made their, their offerings. So it's kind of interesting. That's what's going on. That's the context for our story. So it's a celebration of God's care. Sukkot, they did another thing. They would go out into the fields. They would leave their homes. Get this. They would build little tents that were open. And then at night, they would go in, look at the stars. You can imagine outside of Jerusalem at night in those days, lots of stars. And they would tell stories of God's care, God's protection, God's sheltering over them. His presence with Israel. That's why we sang that song, Shelter. God shelter over them. Joyful. They would have their neighbors in, and one of the, th one of the drinks that the Jewish community liked then was schnapps. So they drank the sweet schnapps. Or at least they do now. I did a class years ago down at St. Michael's College and University of Toronto doing a THM at that point anyway, I was in a class and we were doing the Jewish festivals. And so what we did one time was we built a sukkah, which is a tent, inside the class. And then we all crawled in, about 10 of us, students, into the tent and somebody had brought schnapps. And we were telling stories, drinking the schnapps. That's what we were doing. It was a very cool thing. I mean, kind of weird, but that's what we did way back then. Teacher liked me. She then moved to uh, Israel after that. She'd always give me a good grade. I had different courses with her. So whatever, for whatever reason, I did well in her course. Finally went over to Jerusalem and taught at the Catholic University there. God's providence and care. And we've noted Jesus prodded to go by his brothers. Here's a quote. Sukkot is simultaneously a sign of our vulnerability to the vicissitudes of the world, number one, tough world, and also of the reassuring shelter of the Holy One who once led a people into the desert and out again. Sukkot, that's the name of the festival, gives us the strength to live the rest of the year by reminding us of God's presence and concern. This is written by a Jewish scholar. So that's how they understand Sukkot in their tradition. The world can be tough. The world has been very tough on the Jewish community over the years, has it not? They've known the vicissitudes of the world. But God shelters them in the midst of that. So you can just imagine this festival is very, very important to them. So that's all that's going on um, in this this story that sets up Jesus' words, all right? So there we go. On the last day of the festival, now we move on to where we're really going. On the last day of the festival, the great day, note the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out. Now that's interesting because rabbis normally sit. He would sit and taught, teach. But here he stands up, which is unusual because he's teaching, and he cries out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. This is in the midst of this water festival going on for an entire week, and on this day the priests walk seven times around the altar and pour it. Jesus says in this context, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. 
because the people are thinking about drinking. And let the one who believes in me drink. Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. So this whole story makes a lot more sense if we frame it that way. Now, he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. Now, John, the evangelist, says, for as yet there was no Spirit. What he just means by that is the Spirit hadn't been given to everybody, to every believer at that point yet, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus and the Father send the Spirit. That's his little P.S. So what do we get? So it's a great dramatic action. Jesus stands up and he makes this statement. I mean, it is dramatic, is it not? If you are thirsty, come to me. If I went out on the street and made that statement, if anybody is thirsty, come to me, what would they think? They would think this guy's crazy. Who, who is he to say that? Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Come on. That's what people would think. So when Jesus stands up and says that, there are some who are thinking that way too. Who are you, man? You're not even a, a rabbi from a great school. So it's a dramatic action, and Jesus is taking a risk here. How are people going to respond, in faith or not in faith? He's putting himself out there. In fact, because of this day, many are going to try to kill him even more so than before. So it's a dramatic action. And Jesus is taking the risk because he really wants people to come and know the truth and know their truth, to become their true self. So if you like, he's opening his heart to everybody. He's opening his heart not just to friends and family and disciples. His family don't even believe in him mostly. His mom, James at some point becomes a believer, but I mean basically not. He's taking a big risk. He's taking a risk because he really cares. He's opening his heart. I think we have to see that for this story to make sense. He reaches out to people what will they do? And thirdly, as we note, the life-giving water connects with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit coming. Some texts. He splits rocks open in the wilderness from the Psalms and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like the rivers. This is part of the thinking of what's going on in that day. So there's the water coming out of the rock. Secondly, on that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem. Half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. There was a, an image where the people felt in the last days the water would flow out of the temple and flood the entire land in a positive way. So the image is a rock, water coming out of the rock, and the image is a great river, as Natalie showed, a river off the top. Jewish people are thinking in those ways. So where do we go with that, all right? So we have the tabernacle story, and then we have Jesus taking a risk. So are we thirsty? That, that's the question, number one. Are we thirsty, and are we thirsty for God? Or are we thirsty for our own preoccupations, whatever it is? Frequently in our lives, 
we don't really care about these great questions, these big ultimate questions. We just are concerned about the immediate day. That's, that's where we're at, and we don't go any farther than that. And Jesus is always probing, 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 probing. We need to think beyond that. Think beyond your bank account. Think beyond, you know, what you're going to do this summer. We all, we all do that, but think beyond that. Open it up. Not only you can answer that for yourself. How are we thirsty? How would you have responded if you heard Jesus say that? If anybody's thirsty, come to me today. What would you do? So will we say our yes? It's about a choice. And the big thing here is there's an opportunity here. Jesus takes a risk, so there is a real opportunity for people to respond, to begin again. When Jesus talks to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and he says, you must be born again, by the way, that's the, it's really the only time that phrase is even used. It's not a jargon word. He introduces that to Nicodemus. Will you be born again? Or you need to be. And Nicodemus says, well, how, how can I do that? I can't enter into my mother's womb again. I can't do that. But it's an opportunity to be born again. To start anew. I like that. There's always the opportunity to start anew. No matter what's happened. No matter what has happened in the past. You can start anew with God. You can start anew. You can start anew. Begin again. Yeah, I like it. Will we start again? Just what Jesus is saying. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Last week I talked about the Galatians 3.28 as a welcome text. Well, here's another one. Come to me. One of the first songs I ever wrote, I wrote it on this text, Come to Me. I sang it on Huntley Street when I was about 18. <laughs> Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Anybody here feeling weary? You might. Feeling like you're carrying heavy burdens? And Jesus says, come to me. And I will give you rest. I will help you. How? Through his spirit. If he doesn't give you rest, then it means nothing. Come to me if you are weary carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So, who do you know who's carrying heavy burdens? Who do you know who's weary? We go to Bolivia, and, you know, you, when you walk around Cochabamba, there are so many poor, really destitute, poor, and a lot of them are moms, are young moms, late 20s, and they all have three or four kids, and they're around them sitting on the sidewalk, and when you as a Westerner come by, a gringo, all of them put their hand up. 
Will you help me? Anything. Will you give a Boliviano one? It's, 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 it's heartbreaking, right? It's not just one. If you walk from your hotel downtown, you're, you're going to walk by 20 people who are asking. And the little kids are taught, go up and ask the gringos. Ask them. They, I would say, are oppressed and they are feeling weary and they are feeling burdened. Mm. I was walking home one night down there and it was late. I was by myself. And two guys come over to me and they were maybe about 18. They were bigger guys. And at night I would walk with change in my pocket so that when somebody came to me, I could give them something. And I made sure that I had more than a Boliviano. Boliviano wouldn't cut it. One. You had to at least give them a five or a ten. So this one guy comes over to me, and I give him five. He looks at it. He's not overly impressed, but it's... And then his buddy comes over, and he wants something too. So then I give him five. I didn't want to go into my wallet. Open your wallet, it's probably going to be gone. Five and five. And went away. But five then, a few years back, ten years maybe, they could get pizza, they could get a piece of pizza and a drink, and there was a pizza place right there. They could do that. Well, I don't mean burden, man. Those guys, the, the, the opportunities they had were not, <laughs> not very many. Not very many. Bolivia, you only have to go to school through grade four. And many parents, after grade four, you're, you're out, man. The kids are out trying to make some money now like everybody else. Those guys, what, what was their future? Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Welcome. So as we conclude, Jesus is the source. He's the source of the living water. That's what John is saying, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. Come to me, and you will experience life. The source, too. The Holy Spirit is the real presence of Jesus. That's what Pentecost is about. Jesus is with you. Just as if he was with you physically 2,000 years ago, he is with you wherever you go, wherever we go, all around the world. The presence of the Spirit, that's what's so amazing. The Holy Spirit will continue to teach us, John says. Note, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything, remind you of all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit teaches us in an ongoing way. Number four, the Holy Spirit enables us. Enables us to do what we need to do. And then as we conclude, there's this great trilogy. There's life, there's light, and there's love. That's Jesus. Jesus is life. Gives us life. It was Noted earlier in the service, life. Jesus is light. So he gives us light, I mean life, and then he enables us to see light, and ultimately it is about love. That is finally the big take-home. Live in love. John of the Cross said, where there, was no, where there is no love, put love and you will find love. 
That's what it comes down to. Where there is no love, put love and you will find love. Do that. Love, love, love. That's what we're supposed to do. They will know that you are Christians, right? By your love. So that, that's, that's the invitation on your street with your neighbors. You know, are you known as a loving person or as a grumpy person on your street? You know, a gentle person, compassionate or bitter and uptight, I, I, whatever. Love. That's a fair question to ask. If we are followers of Jesus, then we should be known by our love. And love with one another. Love trumps everything. Everything. Love. You may not agree with somebody, but that doesn't mean you can't love them. You have to love them even in the midst of the disagreements. That, that was the challenge of the early church, and it's still the challenge. Love. And when we love, and when we are known as a place of love, people will continue to come and come because they are attracted by love. Love Life, light, love. A beautiful trilogy. Life, light, love. So can we be life? Can we be light? Can we be love for one another? For your own family? For your extended family? Relatives? Can you be that? Life, light, and love? That's a real gift if you can do that. Beth has got a, a, a niece coming this week. Hope you don't mind me saying. Two little ones. It'll be a little bit challenging for me, actually. So we got the niece. I've met her. Two little ones. It'll all be great, I'm sure. But why did they come? Because Beth is known as this. Life, light, love. If she wasn't that, they would not want to come all the way from Seattle to spend a whole week and live with us in our basement. If she was known as angry and bitter and so on, they wouldn't come. Isn't that right, Beth? But life, light, love. Me, they have questions about. Her, not. So may we be that for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Are we singing?